one thing which I very much want within my lifetime is to see one new physics effect. Uh, the preferably find out what dark matter is. But I think we are actually back to 100 years ago. I think we are back to the point that we think we know everything and we know that we do not. And uh, I hope we are just uh, opening the door toward a completely new physical phenomenon. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Dina Genkina, and today's episode is about a massive puzzle that scientists are still piecing together. And I mean massive, literally. What if I told you that all the rocks, planets, stars, and galaxies, all the stuff that's zipping around to and fro, up, down, and sideways out in space, only accounts for about 15% of matter in the universe? You might rightly ask what makes up the rest. I wish I could tell you. Problem is, scientists have no idea what that other stuff is exactly. They just know it's not anything we've seen before. It's called, very dramatically, dark matter. You might think that to figure out what that stuff is, we'd have to fly up to it in a spaceship and take a look but we might not even know it when we see it, because we can't see it. That's what makes it dark. Another tactic, one that's actually underway, is to build huge experiments that might be able to spot individual bits of dark matter when they fly into them. But there's another approach, one that involves looking ever more closely at particles that we know really, really well. Atoms. It turns out each kind of atom has its own ticking frequency like an extremely regular heartbeat. So regular, you could set your watch to it. Patiently keeping ever more precise track of this beating might one day help in understanding dark matter. How, you ask? Stick with me. First, we have to take a closer look at why this dark matter is so mysterious. We know what it is not. It is not anything which we know. It's not invisible stars, the black holes, the all the standard model particles, it's something else. That's Mariana Safranova, an atomic physicist. You heard her at the top of the episode. I'm Mariana Safranova. I'm a professor at the University of Delaware and uh, a joint fellow of the Joint Quantum Institute, University of Maryland. There's a sort of laundry list of all the things we know, all the particles we've observed and how they interact with each other. This laundry list is actually our current best understanding of the basic building blocks of the physical world. And it's called, very creatively, the standard model. And the standard model describes how many elementary particles we have, what are their masses, and what fundamental interactions we have. Despite the banal name, the standard model is pretty great. It ultimately explains most of what we see here on Earth and has been verified by lots of different experiments. You might remember hearing about the discovery of the Higgs boson at the Large Hadron Collider back in 2012. The standard model predicted its existence long before it was found. Its discovery was a crowning achievement for the theory. But great as it is, we also know for a fact that the standard model doesn't explain everything. At least, not completely. For starters, it doesn't include gravity. You know, that thing that keeps us all stuck to the ground. More pertinent to our story, 
none of the particles it contains can possibly be dark matter. Because the standard model does such a great job predicting so many things, the ways in which it's falling short have to be quite subtle. Perhaps some of the assumptions the model makes are wrong, but not completely wrong, just ever so slightly on the edge of perception wrong. For example, what if things we call fundamental constants, like the speed of light or the charge of the electron, aren't actually constant? What if they're changing ever so slightly over time? Would such a tweak change something in the real world that we can observe? So, in fact, very large classes of theories beyond the standard model predict that we should have variation fundamental constants, and then, of course, ask them, how much? Tell me, are we going to see it? Unfortunately, it's very hard to make any predictions. Some theories about dark matter postulate that it's a new kind of particle or particles. These particles would have some mass, we don't know how much, and some undetectably weak interaction with familiar earthly particles. We don't know how weak. Many of these theories suggest that when dark matter particles interact super weakly with known particles, they might actually cause the fundamental constants to change. And it's kind of all or nothing. Either all the constants are shifting or none of them are. Measuring these constants over time ever more precisely can help us figure out whether or not that's happening. To help us understand which constants should be measured and how, I talked to a scientist from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the US federal lab dedicated to making precise measurements of everything from the length of the meter to the standard composition of baking chocolate. I'm Charles Clark. I'm a fellow of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, trained as a physicist. I'm a federal employee, and this is a government agency. Also, a Joint Quantum Institute fellow. So how do we tell if the speed of light or the charge of the electron are shifting over time? And for dark matter tests, is one constant a better choice than another? So, for example, one that everyone has heard of is the speed of light. Uh, it's commonplace understanding, I think, uh, that nothing is supposed to be able to go faster than the speed of light, and the, the speed of light is a definite value in units of length divided by time, so let's say meters per second. It turns out that the speed of light, although familiar, is not the best candidate for measuring time variation. Let's suppose you did a very careful measurement and you found that the speed that, you've, that you measured was changing in time. What would that tell you? Would it tell you that the speed of light was changing? Or could it be that the properties of the meter stick that you're using, the meter stick might be changing in time? Or the second the second might be changing in time. Like, the Earth's rotation does change in time, right? Maybe there's some overall expansion of time. So studying changes in the speed of light, or any other constant that has dimensions, like length or time, can be confusing. You can't tell if it's the constant or the dimensions that are changing. But luckily for us, there are fundamental constants that don't have any dimensions at all. An important one of these is the fine structure constant which describes the strength of electromagnetic forces. It's, it's one of the most precisely measured of the fundamental constants. And this is where atoms and their very regular atomic heartbeats come back into the story. 
in principle, you can measure the fine structure constant by measuring that ratio of energies, of atoms. And the, you know, the great thing that's evolved in modern times is we have these optical atomic clocks. Scientists have managed to turn these atomic heartbeats into the world's most precise clocks. These clocks probably won't help your friends show up on time for drinks, but their precision is what makes the GPS on your phone possible. To explain why atoms make such good clocks, here's Safranova again. So first, what is a clock? What do you need to actually build any clock? You need some sort of periodic motion. Okay, the simplest clock, Earth, going around the sun. If all you want to do is to find out when to harvest your potatoes, that's actually a pretty good clock. Uh, if your clock is more elaborate, for example, you have a pendulum. Well, you have somehow you need to count the period of your oscillation of motion. If you have a quartz crystal, then you get about now, instead of one per second, you have 50,000 oscillations per second. So what you want to actually have is as good oscillator as possible. And then you need to be able to count the period of your oscillations. So how many do you have per second? And atoms, they make perfect oscillators. They are exactly the same. For example, the quartz crystals are not exactly the same. The atoms are. The cesium atom is the teacher's pet of atomic clocks. The frequency at which the cesium atom's heart beats is actually used as the definition of how long a second is. Meaning one second, by definition, is the amount of time it takes the cesium atom to complete 9,192,631,770 heartbeats. If we count each individual beat, we'll end up with a clock that's a lot more precise than counting the number of times the Earth goes around the sun. And scientists can play all kinds of tricks to make these clocks even more ridiculously precise, like choosing more suitable atomic transitions and cooling the atoms down really, really cold. These combine to make atomic clocks the most precise timekeepers in the world. And the modern clocks are so good, they will not lose one second in 30 billion years. So during the lifetime of our universe. And this same precision just might help us get a glimpse into a mystery like dark matter. You see, the frequencies with which some of these clocks tick depend ever so slightly on the value of the fine structure constant. And crucially, some clocks are more sensitive to changes in the fine structure constant than others. Lighter elements, like aluminum, tend not to care so much and feed at almost the same frequency no matter what. But heavier elements, like mercury, are much more sensitive to small changes in the value of the fine structure constant. So you pick two clocks. One is sensitive and one is not. And then you just, well, you watch it over time for as long as, well, you can. If the fine structure constant is changing over time ever so slightly, the first clock will gradually get just a little bit out of sync with the second one. By checking how long the two clocks stay in lockstep, we can see if the fine structure constant is varying with time. And if they stay in sync, we can put bounds on how much it could be changing. The longest experiment so far has compared two such clocks for 15 years. And, drum roll please. So far, it seems like the fine structure constant really is constant. 
at least as far as we can tell. Our faithful watch has, so far, not shown any skipped atomic heartbeats. But that doesn't mean our efforts have been in vain. In fact, it has ruled out a whole bunch of possibilities for what dark matter particles could be. Well, we eliminated a pretty large amount of parameter space, meaning a large fraction of the possible masses and interactions had been eliminated by atomic clocks. But of course, I mean, the newer, newer clocks will take away large chunks of parameter space, which possible dark matter, which no one else had ruled out. To this day, we still don't know what dark matter is. But some ideas for what it might be, if true, would mean that things like the speed of light or the fine structure constant aren't actually constants, but changing ever so slightly right under our noses. Ultra-precise atomic clocks allow us to keep an eye on whether that's actually happening and to put limits on how quickly and by how much. The more precise these measurements become, the more we can narrow down the field of potential theories. Or, if we get lucky, we might even find evidence that supports one. Luckily, atomic clocks are not done getting more precise. So, going forward, what are the most promising avenues for better precision and better tests? How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) The precision of our fundamental instruments became so extraordinary that we may stumble upon the variation of fundamental constants or any other of the interesting physics effects which we assume to be right just because we have never seen them not to be right uh, as an unknown systematic. And uh, we can just eventually run into our two clocks just don't tick the same way just because the physics doesn't work the same way we think it should. That's it for this episode. A special thanks this week to Mariana Safranova and Charles Clark for joining forces to help explain atomic clocks and fundamental constants, as well as share their physics hopes and dreams. Be sure to tune in for part two, where Safranova and Clark return to discuss lingering questions in our understanding of good old gravity and how they might be unlocked with precise measurements of single atoms. For Relatively Certain, I'm Dina Genkina. Unfortunately, the fine structure constant has this name. It should be called, I think, the God constant instead because of its importance. Well, the one constant in the table of fundamental constant that has no dependence on any other is... The gravitational constant. Yes. The big G. Big G. Yeah, actually, maybe we should reserve the name God constant for that. First of all, it's got big G, so we don't have to change the abbreviation.